Recovery Elevator, episode 217. The funniest thing about this thing is it, it completely fools you and you, you then make big mistakes. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Brad. He's 31 years old from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he's been sober since August 31st, 2018. I got good news. There was initially only 60 spots available for the upcoming Recovery Elevator Retreat this August 14th to the 18th, and that sold out in about a month. I went back and I got another 30 spots available, so the more the merrier. Let's make this happen. I put this retreat on in 2017 and it was a blast, but this year we're taking it to the next level. In addition to incredible workshops put on by industry professionals, we're going to have a fun time. I don't want to give away the full itinerary, but we're going to be checking out some waterfalls, perhaps some paddle boarding, some campfires, some s'mores. And again, this event is a celebration of your decision to move forward in life without alcohol. Go to recoveryelevator.com to get registered. And before we get any further, let's hear from Babbel. Support for today's episode is brought to you by Babbel, the language learning app that will get you speaking a new language with confidence. When Recovery Elevator went to Peru last year, Babbel was my go-to app to touch up on my Spanish, and it helped others on the trip learn to ask for grande soda waters with lime. That would be agua gaseosa con limón. When I went on vacation to Brazil in 2017, I wish I knew how to speak the language because it was not fun asking directions of how to return the rental car to the locals. I eventually figured it out. With Babbel, you can speak a new language with confidence. Choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, and German. Babbel is designed to quickly get you speaking your new language within weeks. Babbel's teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies. Its convenient lessons are only 10 to 15 minutes long. Lessons are lovingly created by over 100 language experts, real people, and not by a translation machine. Right now, you can try Babbel for free. Download the app or text ELEVATOR, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R, to 484848. Again, text ELEVATOR, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R, to 484848 to try Babbel for free today. Okay, let's get started. The last couple podcast episodes were more visionary about how our addiction to alcohol will be the primary drivers of change to a new incredible life. And when we look back, the addiction will be the best thing that ever happened to us. Awesome. And in last episode, episode 216, I talked about how the current emotional state of the planet is one of unease, and it's someone or a group of individuals that have healed from addiction will be the people that bring us out of these restless times. Again, awesome. Cool stuff happening. However, let's talk about the now. And perhaps we're currently feeling an internal storm of uncomfortable emotions and making it through these without taking a drink can seem daunting. So today I'd like to cover ways to ground yourself when we find ourselves taking this thing one day at a time or one hour at a time or one minute at a time. In some periods on this journey, we're going to find ourselves logging days in our sobriety tracker apps like it ain't no thing. We'll say, wow, seven days just went by without a drink. Cool. Didn't think much about it. And then there are other days when we wake up and keeping the mind in check can be a constant struggle. On these days in the journey, it can feel like we are continually grasping for something to be stable. And life can temporarily, that's the key word, temporarily feel like an emotional roller coaster. 
So here are some of my own personal favorite techniques that I use to ground myself, to pull myself back into the body, away from the mind, and into the present moment. The first one is to acknowledge what is happening. Anxiety is great at tricking you into believing that something is real. So all these fear-based thoughts you are having are simply that. They're thoughts. Thoughts aren't real. Once you acknowledge this and say, wait a second, I'm not going to die, and most likely in a couple hours, one or two days tops, this will all be fine, then you can just wait it out. Just roll with it. So do not turn your back on this discomfort. Acknowledge it's there and be aware of what's happening. And again, awareness is half the battle with a lot of these things. Here's the second grounding technique that I use. Actually, let me rephrase that. Here's the second grounding technique that we use. So how do these two sentences sound? Number one, gosh, I am struggling right now. Or number two, gosh, we are struggling right now. Most of us orientate our thoughts to the individual self, but quantum science is showing we receive great benefit when we think of terms of we, which isn't a lie because we are all connected. When I say to myself, damn, Paul, we're, we're kind of having a rough day right now, it feels a lot easier because I'm not going through it alone. And the third grounding technique that I absolutely love that I use when possible, now keep in mind I live in Montana, we had a brutal, a frigid February and March, is take your shoes off and walk barefooted outside. This is literally called a grounding or earthing. And guys, there are books written on just this subject alone because it can be this powerful. So you and all people, animals, plants, and inanimate objects are electrical beings living in an electrical world. Everything that's made up of atoms, so that's everything, has a net charge that's either positive, negative, or neutral. Grounding means discharging built-up static electricity directly into the earth. The earth has a negative charge, and you, human beings, have a positive charge. Walking barefooted in grass, in gravel, on dirt, or on the beach allows you to release an excess of unbalanced energy. If you're pacing back and forth with anxiety inside, do it outside without shoes. You'll instantly start to feel better. This next grounding technique piggybacks off the previous grounding technique. This is you are nature. So take a time out and go be in your natural setting, which is nature. Ideally, do this in a location with a soundtrack, such as a stream, birds chirping, or maybe third eye blind. Sorry, I had to throw that one in there. If the unease in life is strong at a particular moment, and you can get outside in nature and take a walk without shoes, man, you're really going to get grounded. You're going to start to feel better fast. The next grounding technique is to slow down. Usually when we find ourselves spinning out, we're moving too fast. We're rushing through the day, seeking ways to mitigate inner turmoil, but we're going too fast for anything to actually happen. So as Jane Wagner would say, for fast acting relief, slow down. Usually when we do things fast, every task we do, we do it as a means to an end, which means there's no quality or presence attached to that activity. A couple things I do throughout the day is every time I approach stairs, go up and down, I take them one at a time and I go slow. Another thing is, every time I get out of the vehicle, so I'll turn my key off, turn the car off, I'll wait a couple seconds. Oftentimes, I look up into the clouds and I wait till I can cognitively see the clouds moving. And what's starting to happen? I'm getting caught up watching the clouds move. It's really neat. The next grounding technique is do not multitask. I used to think I was good at multitasking, 
probably because I worked in restaurants for a long time, but studies show that nobody is good at multitasking. And what happens when we're doing too many tasks at once? Well, we're never presently doing one task. We're spreading our energy, our thoughts, and our ideas across multiple platforms, and they rarely result in any quality work getting done. So if you find yourself on the phone and you're writing an email or sending a text, maybe just pick one of those activities and be fully present in just one of the two. The next grounding technique that I use when I feel the mind getting away from me is I start paying close attention to the body, more specifically to the stomach or solar plexus area. Most likely, you'll recognize this region to be tensed up and tight. When I direct my attention towards this region, it's almost like I'm going to be modeling for a swimsuit commercial, right? I recognize that my stomach is pulled in, it's tight, and I'm not taking deep belly breaths. So as soon as I'm aware of this, I can take a couple conscious breaths, release the tension in the area, and it just feels better. The next grounding technique that I use is I go from saying I can get through this to I am getting through this. It's the same thing with the whole sobriety journey. Instead of saying, I can do this, which is good, it's empowering, take it one step further to what it actually is. It's, I am doing this. Not, man, I think I can do this in the future to, damn it, I am doing this right now. Next grounding technique is go with the gut. So 11 billion bits of information bombard your energy field every millisecond, and most report to the gut area and not your head. Not surprising that 80% of serotonin is created in your gut and not your head. So if I find myself, for example, having difficulty making a decision, I always go with the gut says. And I've also found the gut has a clearer and louder voice when I'm in an environment without a lot of distractions and noise. The last grounding technique that I use, which is a profound one, is I tell myself, dude, Paul, this isn't you. So thank you, Michael Singer, with the untethered soul. You are not the voice inside your head. You are the one who hears it. A couple months ago, I woke up in the middle of the night and my head was spinning. I tried to think myself through the problem, but I just kept flipping around on the pillow. I couldn't go back to bed. And finally, I just told myself, Paul, this isn't you, which is true. I'm the one who hears it. I'm not the voice that's speaking. And sure enough, I fell asleep maybe 30 seconds after that. It was kind of strange. And since that moment, once I find myself spinning out, I say, Paul, this isn't you. Just let this stuff pass. It's a pretty cool technique. I hope you guys enjoyed this list of grounding techniques. And I want to hear what you use to ground yourself. You never know. There could be a strategy or technique that you use that I would love to implement. So email me at paul at recoveryelevator.com. In the subject line, use grounding technique. And before we hear from Brad, let's hear it from ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. 
And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address at ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Brad, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Paul? Brad, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Let's get right into this. When was your last drink? My last drink was um, the night of August 31st, 2018. All right. Congratulations. So what is that? How many months is that? Uh, We're getting near the six-month point. I'm actually pulling up my app right now. I think, hold on, 167.35. So getting close to the six-month mark, which is exciting. Nice job. How do you feel about it? Oh my gosh, it was by far the hardest, it is the hardest thing I've been doing, and it's the most rewarding thing that's ever happened to me. If you would have told me six months ago that I'd be able to face a quarter of what I've faced without a drink, I would have really told you that it wasn't possible, and I'm sitting here today just just so thankful for the clear head and the, the family and the support and you know the community we have at Cafe RE, my AA community, uh, my sponsors, my accountability partner, John, it's just been awesome. Yeah, it's funny how that works. The hardest, most painful, the biggest challenge we faced in life is often often leads us to the most rewarding chapter in our life, and I've experienced the same. Um, yeah, give listeners a little background about yourself, Brad. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. Do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm from Northeast Indiana. I lived there my whole life. By trade, I am actually a traveling salesperson. Um, I sell healthcare products to providers. I'm married, beautiful wife named Christine, and I have a 15-month-old daughter named Addison Grace. She keeps us pretty busy. Basically, my fun, I, I, I'm an avid golfer. Through sobriety, I've actually found that I joined one of those little tiny pop-up kickboxing gyms, really kind of cool for uh, you know getting some frustration out, beating bags, and getting a little good workout in, too. Really taking a lot of this to heart. I, I do meetings. I like reading about my sobriety. I like listening to podcasts when I'm driving for work. And yeah, I, uh, I just really enjoy being around my family right now and watching my little daughter grow and start learning words and stuff. It's a lot of fun. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with the fun side. And yeah, things are good. So How has sobriety affected your golf game? You know, the funniest thing is is um, we'll get into kind of where, where I hit my bottom. But the day after that happened, my, it was Labor Day weekend. And my, my dad really wanted me to play golf with him. And, and he forced me out of my little cocoon of, you know, sadness and, and pessimism to go play golf. And I played horribly, but the next couple of times I played, my swing was actually really free because I was like, what's the worst that can happen? Like putting it in the water, like that's nothing. So uh, it's gotten better, man. It's had a lot of fun doing that through always sobriety. I'm excited for when the snow melts to get back out on the course. So really good. So <laughs> Yeah, I asked that because I've had a couple golfers on the podcast and, and a similar theme Similar responses. Wow, my golf game has drastically improved, along with everything else in my life, <laughs> with the with the removal of alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like coffee though, so I don't know if that's going to help me with my putting or not. But you know, I, I have uh, enjoyed some caffeine. I, I I got a cappuccino machine at home now that I like to indulge in occasionally, and we'll see how that translates this spring. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Brad, give listeners a little background about your drinking, maybe when you started drinking habits when you first realized that alcohol might be an issue? And did you ever put any rules in place to moderate? Bring us up to speed. Absolutely. Yeah, I was a youth group kid all the way through high school, um, so I kind of stayed on the the straight and narrow. I did have a job as a bar back um, when I was 17 at a country club, 
So I learned a lot of my alcohol and it's a whole different world that wasn't really thrown at me back then. So that's kind of why I started learning about alcohol. And then um, I went to college and a lot of my college experience at the beginning was fairly alcohol free. A big moment for me was in the summer of 2009, I went to England and um, I wasn't around good positive people that I had around me and kind of really got into drinking and I was 20 and I was allowed to do it over there. So not too many sober days there. Fast forward to turn 21 and, and they say the new medium age of alcoholism is probably 22. I was a resident assistant, but I was, I get away to the bar. I would go as much as possible, but um, everyone was doing that. So I didn't think I had a problem then. Got into the professional world and um, in the middle of the recession and I uh, didn't get the job I thought I was going to get. And I think a lot of people uh, my age right now kind of had that similar experience. And, you know, I, I would drink quite a bit just because I was bored. I didn't have a relationship or anything. Still felt kind of normal. I met my wife in a bar, actually. Later in life, I moved. At, I, I left my job in Indianapolis and moved home. I was living in the basement and sneaking out just to see other people instead of uh, hanging out with my folks. And I ended up meeting my wife at a bar, and I, I started frequently in the bar probably five, six nights a week. You know, that temptation to drive was always there, and I probably drove a few times when I wasn't supposed to. Got in a relationship, ended up finding the love of my life. A lot of the things you do when you're dating revolve around going out and having cocktails with other couples. So sure. did a lot of that. I was always the one that uh, probably took a little bit too far, but we were celebrating a lot of happiness. So, you know, we were seeing the best parts of each other and not necessarily the uh, fact that maybe Brad likes to drink a little bit too much. I remember once we got married, um, we went on our honeymoon and I had had a few pina coladas in the morning and we were out on those little tiny paddle boards. And I tell the story as, as a joke, but it was really kind of the beginning of maybe a problem is. I was told not to go downwind. I was told to go upwind first, downwind back. And I, I knew everything, so I decided to go downwind first. And I tried <laughs> to turn the thing around, and uh, I lost my glasses in the middle of the ocean of Jamaica, the sandals, and, you know, almost drowned myself out in the middle of uh, the cove. And I was blind. Luckily, I'm nearsighted, so being up close is important during a honeymoon, but not far away. So I spent, like, four days, you know, drinking fairly heavily. You know, my my wife would you know, enjoy a little bit with me, but, you know, she'd fall asleep. I'd go out and try and, you know, drink at the bar. It seemed to be my prerogative. And around then I'm like, wow, this is a little bit different, you know. Fast forward to my wife being pregnant with our daughter. A lot of changes happen in relationships and I'm no longer the focus of it. And uh, we went on a vacation ride as we found out she was pregnant and she started realizing that I do drink quite a bit. So that was another eye opener. The week before my daughter was born in my industry, there's a lot of turnover and there was a layoff. I was hitting everything right with my numbers and stuff, but there was a layoff. And that sent me into a fairly negative tailspin. And I spent a lot of my nights while helping care for my daughter, drinking heavily. Not very proud of it, but, you know, lack of sleep, a lot of personal pain with tying a lot of uh, my life's work to my career caused me to drink quite a bit to self-soothe. We had a surprise death in the family. It was a suicide of my grandfather in January. And then I found another job and it was all very interesting the spiral of probably from June to August. And real quick, June to I August of, of what year? So you're 31 now? When, of when 2018. Was so I, yeah, this is a, probably a 12 year spiral for me. Got to June, July. I'm, I'm in an industry where there's a huge party culture. Went on a, a party kind of fueled, you know, basically company thing and uh, came back and thought that, you know, all my life's great. I'm going to just play harder than you work sort of deal. And I started noticing I was blacking out a lot more. And the 31st is my sobriety date. I don't remember why or when or why I drank, but I drank and I blacked out and I woke up 
and Jerry's and Barry's were behind me. I was in the company car and, you know, basically uh, I got pulled over for OWI and my bottom was in a jail cell where I had three options. I think I got down to the primal instinct of who I am and it's either I can run, which is, you know, flight. Um, I can fight, which, you know, I, I thought about very dark things I could possibly do to end the suffering I was going through and I could get help. So the next day I woke up and three o'clock in the afternoon, went to my first AA meeting. Just really kind of neat thing. Had to, my dad take me, play golf with him the next day. <laughs> Didn't play very well. Went in front of a judge, got my charges dropped. And you want to hear the whole story of the last 30 days? Those have been yeah, back. Yeah, hang so tight. You're, you're doing... I'm, uh, I'm, I'm now sober. So Yeah, hang tight, Brad. Uh, you've done such a great job of getting us up to speed. Let, let me dive back into a couple things before your sobriety date. Can you give us a couple yeah. examples, indications? I think there was a golf outing. You know, perhaps how you missed your first... I missed a flight uh, with your first sales yeah, job yeah. due to alcohol. Talk us through a couple moments where the signs were on the wall, uh, you know, writing was on the wall that you probably have, you know, the relationship with alcohol needs to change. And were you able to recognize them for what they were? Yeah, absolutely. I switched career fields in between the suicide and, and my bottom. And I was away for two weeks for training for a new job. And every night was a party. And I was hanging out with people that were eight years younger than me that, you know, are in the prime of their drinking life usually. And, you know, I ended up having a 12-hour layover in the Atlanta airport. And, you know, that gave me 12 hours to booze up because I didn't have to drive until I got home. And my flight was delayed a few times. And I thought it'd be cool to go to the bar next to the terminal because I'm an adult now and I do adult things. And I'm a career business person now and came back. And I'd been away from my pregnant wife for about two weeks and I missed the flight. And somehow I got a rental car. Don't know how I did that. And I ended up driving about a 12 to 14 hour drive home in the middle of the night, terrifying my wife and got home. And, and that was when maybe a huge indicator of my, my drinking had, had happened. But I, I won off it. And I think that's a lot of things that, that I was doing is I was one offing the experience. Um, I used to play in a golf league around that time, too. Um, I played Sundays and Saturdays. And, you know, I was around um, a bunch of guys that were older and, you know, in my mind, more successful. And, um, you know, they were more in the, the golden years more so. And they included me right along. And it wasn't a big deal for them to, you know, start at nine o'clock, be done by five o'clock. So a four hour golf round with the amount of booze we were drinking, you know, would turn into two and a half hours at the bar. And once again, couldn't figure out why my wife was frustrated with me or like why there was always apologies needed and um, things like that. But it still wasn't something that I came to terms with. And it was just, oh, well, I never really got to live a really fun life in high school. Or I'd take it back to some place where I was compensating for, well, you know what? You don't understand. In my head, I was like, you know, I get to have fun too. Um, it was all about me at that time. And that's kind of a lot of how those little moments, they weren't necessarily like, oh, I got to stop doing this. It was more just like, a, you know, everyone's doing it. So I might as well, you know, join in that sort of deal. Does that make any sense or it does absolutely, and when you, when you say one offs, are you are you saying that you didn't really connect the dots between them? You just looked at them as as all specific individual events. Yeah, yeah, like oh, I had too much to drink, I'll regulate. You know, and you talk about attempts to regulate. Like, I got on a keto diet, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll I'll drink hard alcohol and not drink, you know, beer and wine, and you know, of course, I didn't lose any weight on the keto diet. You know, I've always had an issue with my weight, my metabolism, so you know that kind of deal. You know, I get on these crash diets, I, I get into CrossFit and I think, oh, well, I'll just work out and, and burn 900 to 1,000 calories a workout and, you know, work hard and then go out and party on the weekend, you know, and by party, I mean sitting on my couch drinking bourbon by myself because my wife was asleep and pregnant, you know, um, just really irrational thoughts. But I was so permeated with the fact that 
oh, I couldn't possibly have this problem. And uh, this issue does run in my family and, and I'm doing so much better than my family. You know, <laughs> my dad, his two brothers have an issue with this. And, you know, I probably could never be dumb enough to get into the trap of that. But the funniest thing about this thing is it, it completely fools you and you, you then make big mistakes. And, you know, that, that's kind of the beauty of this whole thing we deal with together is there's always a spiral if you're in the middle of it. Yeah, there's a spiral internally, and, and sometimes that spiral can take shape in our physical external world as well. And it sounds like with your with yep. OWI, which is a DUI, uh, similar to DUI, I believe, um, it, it's, it was starting to take effect. Now, before August 31st, 2018, did you did you ever try to quit? Um, you mentioned there was a couple of moderation things, only drink this alcohol, not hard alcohol, because uh, the keto diet. But did you ever reach a point where you're like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to just stop? You know, I, I don't think... I don't think I was helped enough to get to that point. The arguments that my wife and I would have at home while having a nine month old or eight month old is, you know, you drink too much and I just don't know how you're going to be a good dad. But I, I never got to the point in my head where I'm like, oh, maybe we're just overreacting because, you know, everyone around me is wrong and I'm right. So I would try and moderate. Maybe I'll do like a glass a night. Well, the funny thing is, is if you're pouring your own, you know, my, my last drinks were or just hard whiskey or whatnot is, you know, if you're pouring your own drinks, you can, you know, make any cup big as big as you want. So there'd always be like a, a concerted effort Monday through Thursday to try and stop. But if I had a bad day or, you know, if I thought the world was against me and I played the victim or I was really excited about something and I was happy, alcohol, it didn't really matter what day of the week it was, I was going to drink and all bets were off by how much. Um, I like to think it was maybe you know, based on what should be nor normal portion sizes, you know, I like to say it was an average of, of five, five drinks on a daily basis based on ounces and stuff. But, you know, I was pouring my own stuff. I don't know. You know, I just don't think it was normal every couple of months to go to Costco and try and fill an entire bar full of big, <laughs> the big things. And that was always kind of fun. You go to get the Costco membership and it's just you're buying booze with it. And you're like, what? You know, there's a, that kind of that stigma. You're walking up like, oh, yeah, we're having a party. And it's like, no, Brad just really likes to drink. But you know, I couldn't get my head to that point to stop completely yet. So, yeah, you might be an alcoholic if you sign up for the Bozeman Montana Costco and then you're pissed off and you find out they don't sell hard alcohol. And that was me in 2013. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I've only got we had a blue law in Indiana, man, and uh, we had it all the way up until last year. So, like, we couldn't. We used to have to go to Ohio to get alcohol on Sundays. So, you know, it was a big victory for for big alcohol in this area that you know now that's gone. So. You know, I maybe only got to indulge in that for a couple months before my eventual bottom. But yeah, there's another I hear you there, bud. So. Yeah, you might be an alcoholic yeah. if you're crossing state lines on a Sunday to get to get alcohol. <laughs> there's so many of them. I love. Seems it. like common a, a common thing here in Indiana. Honestly, is, is a lot of folks that were really into it with. Oh, I gotta go to Ohio today. Come out and it's like, okay, I hear it in the rooms all the time too. It's part of the story. And I love how you said I'm, I'm in a professional culture where drinking is the thing. Um, if, if I wrote down how many. Uh, professional industries where drinking is a thing that I've heard on this podcast. I think every industry would be would be mentioned. Um, it's just it's it's so yeah, yeah. it's so profound. And and, uh, and Brad, I want to chat with you about the options that you 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 previously mentioned. But an email you sent to me on, on August thirty first, two thousand eighteen, you were presented with three options. Number one, you need to run away. This OWIDUI is awful, and you felt your life was over. Option number two. If you don't run away, you need to kill yourself because you are a useless person and your wife is going to leave you. This is the internal dialogue option number two that was presented to yourself. And number three, you came up with the option of you need help. 
and walk us through these options and which one you chose. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the bottom, the, yeah, I've never been in trouble in my life up to this point. Alcohol has been really the only thing that's gotten me into, like, trouble legally. I'm navigating that system right now, and I'm glad we have a system in this country, honestly, to navigate because, you know, everyone gets to, to do their thing, and I, in no way, you know, with this, I, I hope this is going to help more people than, you know, whatever ends up happening to me. But I was laying on a jail cell floor next to a guy that was talking about his that night and driving a car while drinking and having, you know, cans all over the place. And I'm laying on this little cot, and um, I just called my wife, who was driving around Fort Wayne looking for me, and she assumed when she couldn't find me that I was probably in jail, which that shows concern that would show where I was probably on the spectrum. And I called her, and I, I'll never forget the way her voice sounded that night, and I was just like, wow, I've, I've met this amazing woman, I have an amazing child, and I'm going to throw it all away in typical Brad fashion in a grand, you know, grand my, my, my victim mentality came out like this grand explosion of, wow, the world won't exist anymore for me. And I got down to those primal things that make us, you know, human and animals, you know, we can run from an issue. We can figure out our, our, our worth, life's worth is meaningless, you know, or I can get help. And my, my thought of help was I need to get to a meeting when I get out of here. And maybe if my wife doesn't divorce me the next day, maybe I can just live in my parents' guest bedroom until I figure it out. The idea of having a job, the idea of having anything in my life go on that was positive. I mean, to me at that moment, and I still have to talk myself sometimes out of the negative thinking now with what's going on currently, is that, you know, this OWI is like a stigmatizing thing. No one ever goes through it. And, you know, it was all about me. So that moment was my rock bottom moment. It wasn't, you know, the, the dehumanization of the criminal system and how that all works or, you know having to go stand at a courthouse for five hours to wait to hear good news that your case is dismissed from a judge. None of that. It was, it was that, that moment in that cell by myself having to face the realization that this can't go on. And I was blessed with that moment of clarity and that time to be able to, to choose number three, which was get help. And luckily I went to an AA meeting at three o'clock. And the first thing the guy said to me after my first meeting, after I was bawling in tears was don't kick yourself in the butt too much. We're all doing it. And you, you don't need to do that. You're, you're past that your first day you know so with that I you know my, my recovery story has been the first two months of sobriety after everything was dismissed um, it was basically a non-issue in the eyes of the legal system I went out and I kept going to AA meetings every night I kept doing my job every day I'm making a living amends every day to my wife when it comes to showing her that I can live sober and um, I've been continuing on that track I found your podcast day four of driving around knowing that I had a meeting and I needed to hear something positive and I just I used to listen to a comedian um, on SoundCloud, and I just put in recovery and, and recovery elevator. I had no idea what the elevator part meant. I've found out since. <laughs> but, you know, I started listening to, wow, you, you, there was a lady that had only had like maybe 12 hours of sobriety. And I remember listening to that as I was driving through the cornfields of Indiana going, oh, my gosh, like, I remember being 12 hours in sobriety. <laughs> like, I've got a few days now under my belt. You know, this is insane. So with that, I've, you know, I've, I've got a sponsor in AA. I've got an accountability partner, John through Cafe RE. Sure. I love being on, on the Facebook page for Blue. I love trying to help people. And now I'm going through another little thing that came up with the decision I made on the 31st and dealing yeah. with that too without alcohol. Yeah, so. let's, get, let's get there in a second. But I want to go back to those three choices, which eventually we all reach. For number one, need to run away. And this is when our body is in the fight or flight mode and we're just running. And I was in this state of mind, the state of being for about a decade. Chemicals, toxins build up in the body, the stress in the adrenal glands. This is not fun. Number two, 
again, continuing to run away, but we can find a more permanent way of running away with suicide. I attempted this in August 2014. Number three, and thank God in September of 2014, I also arrived at this option and I reached out for help. Now, there's, there's this term called surrender in recovery. Most people think surrender to a higher power. We, we, I've heard it associated with that as well. However, I like to look at it is, is we surrender to the next phase of our life or we are surrendering or yielding to the next outcome or the next path in our life. And it sounds like you did the same. So um, this moment of clarity, this moment of surrender, uh, for some people it means something spiritual, religious, etc. For me, it's, it's we're finally yielding, surrendering to our next stage of evolution for, for us growing a, as a person. It, it's incredible. And you talk, you talk about burning the ships and you ask for help and you first got to let people in on what's going on. You talk about burning the ships with your mom, your dad, and wife in their kitchen. How did that go? This was three days after you got sober. Talk to us about that moment. Yeah, it was, you know, my mom in the kitchen, my mom, and my dad were in shock and in panic. My wife was super pissed because you know, she had been living with this and it wasn't something that came out. Her parents were actually on a, um, they were retired and they were on a cruise in Alaska and, you know, she felt like she had no support. So I, I came out to them and I said, you know, I made, I've made a huge bunch of mistakes with my drinking. I told them the story about, you know, being at training and having to drive home and what the real story was. It wasn't a delayed flight. You know, I told them about the golf days when I get really drunk. You know, I, I told them the whole story of how I got you know, what I could remember at that point of, of how I ended up in the position I'm in, how I needed a drink to go to sleep every night, you know, especially with a young child, you know, I, my sleep schedule was thrown off, but I, I needed a, a glass of bourbon every night by my bedside to go to sleep and, you know, how I, you know, just really couldn't regulate. And uh, my mom and dad were in tears, but they were supportive and said, we'll do what we can to try and help you. And my wife at that point said, you know, if you ever drink again, I'm taking the kid and work. I'm gone. And honestly, a lot of people will say, well, that's not a really supportive spouse, but for the insanity of the life I was living, I wouldn't want myself around my family either. If, if, I, if I'm capable of driving a car under that with, with the issues I have with this, this substance, you know, that, that's a good decision for her to make. And that means she really does care about me. She'd let me fall out of love with her and fall in love with a bottle, but not take my kid with, with her, you know. So we had that conversation and it was tough. My dad then wanted me to get out in society and not, you know, put myself in a little tiny corner of a room and, you know, it sounds pretentious, but we went to play golf at his golf club that he plays at. And, you know, the whole time I was feeling sorry for myself. And he just made me stay in the sunlight and said, you know, this is all going to come ahead on Tuesday. Don't know if you're going to have a job. Don't know if you're going to be able to drive, you know. And I got this weird miracle on Tuesday where they dismissed my case. And I'd already made the decision I wanted to recover, you know. So I started going to meetings. And I've been going to meetings. And I found you. I found the, the Recovery RE community. And, Brad, how did it feel? When you let your parents and your wife in on what's going on with you, how did it feel? Was there a weight lifted off your shoulders? Was it empowered? What, what, what did it feel like? It was a small weight. There's an extreme sense of guilt. You know, it's a lot of it is, you know, realizing that you caused this yourself. You know, it's, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. But there's a small weight that I was no longer, you know, trying to prove that I wasn't what I was. So that, that felt really, really freeing. But also I knew I had a lot of work to do. That's kind of where it felt that way. It wasn't like roses and butterflies. It was like, okay, you know, I'm still going to have shelter and food and be able to play with my daughter, you know, but um, it wasn't like the whole veil of everything was lifted. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And you, you just heard that your wife 
told you, if you ever drink again, she's going to take the kid and go, which, which is fine. She needs to do what she needs to do. She needs to set up her own personal boundaries for her own, for her own health and her new family. But you, you, you said you reached a moment. You're like, okay, I know I need to do this. Started going to meetings, listen to podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. And you all, and then you got the news, this wonderful news. It seemed like the universe was aligning and the charges were dropped. Talk to us about how the charges were dropped and then the bomb you got on January 31st, 2019 about the charges. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've never, I mean, I've had a speeding ticket that's about the extent of my law breaking and, you know, I'm a not career criminal by any means. Anyone that's been in that situation, I now have complete sympathy, but I stood in a courthouse with my dad for like five hours and I was like one of the last cases and I went up and, you know, I didn't have an attorney or anything and I was expecting to, I was being told what, you know, what I have to do in this situation. And I, I was ready to do that. And I was in the case of Bradley J. Springer versus State of Indiana, it was case dismissed. And I was like, that wasn't one of the options. <laughs> I said, excuse me, <laughs> well, the case dismissed. It's yeah, why did they drop it? No idea. I uh, still have no idea. I've got an inkling, but it's an ongoing thing. So, but my guess is someone might not have signed paperwork correctly. And, you know, I went and, you know, hopefully my attorney never listens to this, but, you know, basically, because I gave him a full name, but yeah, I, I just, I was baffled. I walked out, went to the attorney's office that I, I had and said, this happened. He said, go live your life, man. And wow. my new life was, I'm going to touch alcohol. And that's what I did. And that's what I am doing. So I'm going through, you know, the, the meetings I've, you know, been fortunate to do some service work in the AA community and find people on Cafe RE. And I've been on a couple webinars and a lot of the reading recommendations I'll download on Audible while I'm working. And, you know, I'll listen to it while I'm driving from place to place for what I do. And I'm sitting in my chair on a Thursday evening about six o'clock and my wife and I are, you know, making dinner and eating dinner. And I get a call from my buddy who's an attorney, not the one that represents me or whatever. And he goes, yeah, man, um, your case is back up. I'm like, what? They had refiled it. So... <laughs> I called my attorney. He said, yep, that's, that's take a sick day on Friday. And I did that. And then I had to go through the whole process again. So I got booked back in the, back in the jail to be booked out, you know, and did that. And, you know, the last place I was drunk was a jail cell. And I went there sober and, you know, kind of sat there and watched how people have lived their life. I was in a cell with a guy that clearly has issues with substances and realized that that is where this all takes you. And right now, I guess they're going to continue going forward with stuff. And Keep in mind, I, I'm not sitting here saying that like I'm a victim of the system. Um, this all happened. This is a progressive disease that takes us to places we never thought we'd be. I never could have imagined I'd be in a situation where I could have uh, injured someone or myself. But now it's back up. And um, my job at this point, I tomorrow I'm going to have to call my boss and tell him, you know, I might need to have something in my car to blow into to be able to do my job. And the repercussion could be a job loss or to be a, hey, look what you've done. But either way, I, I now know I have to live my life with some integrity, Paul. And that's, that's kind of what happened. And it's been a struggle, it's been a fight, a dog fight. But um, I haven't picked up since. So still going sober. And I think that counts for something. Absolutely, Brad. And you mentioned earlier in this interview the things that you have been able to face without alcohol. And, and I know a little bit of, of how these things feel. So five days after I graduated college in December of 2014, I'm, I'm, I'm driving home with some friends. Five days after that, I get a DUI, right? I get a DUI. Not fun. Graduate college. Let's go. You're welcome. Real world. I get a DUI. Spend the night in the jail cell. And about two months later, my lawyer calls me and says, hey, Paul, the case was dropped. And the same thing was incorrect paperwork. They said my court date 
um, you know, the first couple months of each year, sometimes you, it's hard to write 2019, you're still writing 2018. And so the police officer put my court date as like 10 months per the last year. So my lawyer's like, yeah, my client can't attend this court date because it's already passed. It's 10 months later, charges dropped. So I know how that feeling is. And we chatted a little bit about this in the webinar that you attended. And you talked about after the files are recharged, uh, are refiled and looking back for me, Brad, that could have been the worst thing that could happen to me was having those charges drop because that was that was a clean slate for me that I always would one off right like I, I said I I would always say yeah. oh, I don't have any DUIs um, and looking back there was three of them and I and I got well, I got a, I got a DUI in in July of 2014 while driving to work but even that charge was still pulled down it's still not a DUI on my record but and I don't I no longer say I don't have any DUIs I should have four I had four run-ins with the law. Um, like I got a DUI in Spain, but it's called something different. So I never said I had a DUI, but had those charges for me been refiled like they are with you, that might've been something in the back of my mind that, you know, I might've sobered up earlier. I don't know, but I, I, and I told you in the webinar, I think this is going to be a good thing for you, Brad, even though when you're right in the middle of it, it's hard to look at it like this, but I think this is going to be a good thing for you. How, how are you feeling about it? That's where I'm at right now is what's really caused me to do is live day to day and the shift from when this initially happened to where I am now is that I'm not so concerned with myself. You know, I kind of look back at it from two weeks ago and I had to self surrender and go through, you know, a miserable six hour experience and, you know, a lockup that didn't happen today. Had some news from my lawyer today. It didn't happen today, you know, so I can look at it from a perspective of, yeah, it didn't happen today. It's a little better today than it, you know, I have a little more certainty today of what might happen and what might not. And I'm more worried about my wife and the fact that she's re-traumatized now not so much myself. It's made me get more mad at alcohol. It's made me more committed to this process. It's allowed me to get through my fourth and fifth step with my sponsor in AA. It's allowed me to, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here personally publicly saying that this, but the fact that I can even help someone with an issue like this is humbling to me. So if, if this saves a life, I know it sounds ridiculous, but if it does, then to know that, you know, even though the legal system can suck, that it's still possible, yeah. Anyone out there feels that way? That's humbling, man. And and I'm glad it happened to me. I'm glad I'm not drinking through it. And I don't have any desire to. And it hasn't come to mind. It's just, it's life, man. And it, it pain's yeah. inevitable. And, so, and Brad, not for a second. And I know listeners would agree with me. Not for a second do I agree. You're you're playing the victim role. You're not a victim in this. And you're you're taking this exactly how I thought you would. Um, and I I like to think how I I would have done it myself. And this happened. Uh, when I was 21 or 22 is you're using this as sobriety fuel. You're doubling down. You're getting through your fourth and fifth step with most, with, with most people. That's uh there's like the one step two. you only do step one, step two, step three. Whoa, I'm not doing step four and five. So it looks like you've got uh, the, you know, the rekindled fuel to keep moving forward with this, man. I'm so happy to hear that you're taking this, this unfortunate you know, air quotes, cause it's not unfortunate. It's happening for your, for your advantage and you're, you're using it. You're seeing it that way. Nice job. And we kind of cruise through. Thanks, man. Yeah, fantastic job. And we kind of cruise through of how you how you did it in the first couple of months because I know a lot of people have questions like, yeah, this it's week one. This is really hard. Like, how did you how did you get sober? How did you stay sober? Um, any tools? Any strategies? Techniques you'd like to share? We'd love to hear them. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest with you. I became a sugar addict for a couple months, and I I realized that you know there was a definite lack of the, the glucose spikes that I get from, you know, whiskey and stuff. So I did a lot of candy eating um, when I was stressed out and going to meetings, there's always some food there. So 
so when I went in to, to the, the rooms or whatnot of AA, they, they talk about doing the 90 meetings in 90 days, and I, I did my best to hold myself accountable. Another thing I tried to do was, you know, not put any pressure on my, my wife to forgive me. I tried to show through my actions instead of my words. I, I, I knew what I want and what I want even now and, and what was my fuel back then is I just want my family to be health, healthy and happy. So to me, regardless of what this situation ends up being, as long as my wife and kids are, or my wife, my daughter is um, happy and healthy and our relationship is healthy and health, happy, that's what matters. And sometimes to get to that point, we have to wait for a while for things to change. So I kept that as my daughter deserves to have a dad walk her down the aisle and my wife deserves to have a husband that she can rely on for childcare and transportation and babysitting and, and being active and not dismissive. And those were the things that I kept in the front of my mind. And magically, I kept thinking, even at the beginning of this, there's no way that I'd ever have the stones to talk to Paul Churchill on a recovery elevator podcast. And, you know, <laughs> here doing, I am now, just working great, a day man. at a time. Yeah, you're crushing so, it. Yeah, it, it just finding a new value system. And eventually you start adding things on. And it's, it's kind of just like almost using Legos. You're just like finding new Lego pieces that, you know, you could snap on to make it stronger. So, you know, now I'm, I also did some, I went to a, I go to a therapist that also doubles as a marriage counselor. I mean, there's things I've done with my wife and to my wife through this that are boring. You know, I, I've learned that, I need to live my life by set of values and not by caring so much what other people think. I'm a people pleaser. So, you know, I, I desperately still want Paul Churchill to like me after this interview, but, you know, it doesn't really matter what Paul thinks. I'm going to like you, man. I'm going to love you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you with that stuff. But uh, with the beauty with everything you just mentioned is recovery, nothing is and or. It's not, it's not AA or. It's all in conjunction with. And, and we know our bodies are best. We listen to the body, not so much the mind, but you can, these recovery portfolios that I hear about on this podcast, they're absolutely incredible because they're all so diverse. They're so different using what works for you. What doesn't work? Um, AA might work for some, might not resonate with somebody else. Not a problem. It's not an and or thing. It's an in conjunction with. Now, what do you feel that, or have you explored this yet? What do you perhaps feel that you were using alcohol to cover up? Yeah, I'm fairly awkward as a human being. God, my higher power, God, uh, kind of made me like I've never been one to really fit in all the time. There's a little bit of abuse, some sexual abuse in my in my young childhood, um, some issues possibly with my family in regards to, you know, maybe depression, things like that, and, and having to deal with some maybe adult situations before I was probably able to do that. But really, a lot of it was just trying to find connections with people because I, I struggled making those or having the confidence to be myself. So alcohol served as like the extreme social lubricant. But you also have someone that's fairly like, oh, if this worked here, it might work for everything. And eventually it became, you know, a self-fulfilling loop. So I would say a lot of the drinking was to kind of get out of my own way with, you know, social pressures. And then once I realized that I could out drink a lot of people, it became almost a competitive thing. And then at the end, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. But you know, wow, this guy was great today. Let's go have a drink. So it, it progressed. But really, it started with trying to fit in. So you know, it's cool kid thing that I never experienced. So I thought if, if everyone was doing it around me, then why not? And that's in college, like that's not like in high school. <laughs> so sure. I had some development to do that I missed out on. Sure. I think that's where it started. So. And Brad, me and you got a lot in common. I could basically say ditto to everything you said, except fortunately, I, I, 
Um, I, I did not experience the sexual or, or, or the abuse as a child, but everything else you said resonated per- perfectly with me. Social lubricant. Uh, the first time I drank it, I was the wow, oh my God, I finally fit in. I, I got you, man. And, and Brad, like I said, not only am I gonna, not only am I gonna like you after this interview, man, I'm gonna love you. And I, I have a feeling if you know you're, you're in Team Blue, which is fantastic, but I encourage you to show up and come to Nashville, come to Bozeman. I, I think if we met in person, we'd we'd really hit it off and, and become and become good friends, man. I, I hope to meet you in person one day hey if, if you you know that's the funny you say that and you know today's valentine's day and, and my plan for kind of like a sober um vacation with my wife we're gonna go skiing in michigan starting today but with the recent things that we had to cancel that trip so i'm looking for something to do but from what it sounds like it might my legal stuff might take a little longer than i'm expecting so um who knows who knows where i'll be I, right now i gotta obviously focus on the the stuff I'm dealing with, but I know at some point here I'll have some more mobility, you know, just, just keep rolling, man. I think I'd love to meet you. And who knows if I get told I can go to Asia at some point, that'd be pretty cool. Pretty kick-ass to do some stuff with some elephants and you know, all that. I don't know. So I'm just keeping an open mind. That's the beauty of this. I don't know. Keep an open mind. We're entering the unknown and I'm loving to hear you're trusting the process, a, the legal process, but the universal process the universal system the the legal system and the universal system you're embracing it all with trust you're just saying whatever happens is happening and i've got this inkling this slight feeling that it's happening in my favor and it is that's a beautiful place to be uh and brad we have reached the rapid fire round if you can answer these questions in 30 to 60 seconds that would be great are you ready absolutely all right when was the aha moment when you realized that you just can't control your drinking i had to be in an airport when i met a pilot and we were just boozing, and it was just like, wow, this typical movie <laughs> that they had with the guy that had a huge alcohol problem, <laughs> just sitting there like, man, like, I'm turning into this, and uh, that's probably where, and then realizing I missed my flight, get back home after two weeks being away, <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I might have an issue here, yeah, especially pregnant a, wife. I mean, I just sound like the best husband in the world right now, I'm sure. Yeah, but missing a flight so, after it's delayed several times. That's, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And uh, next question, Brad, what have you learned about yourself on this journey? That it's okay to ask for help, that it's okay to be vulnerable, and that vulnerability doesn't make you a weak person, and that I'm always going to have things I'm going to be working on. So, you know, once this stuff goes, you know, it's, trying to be healthy, you know, maybe drink more water every day and, you know, trying to develop a way of living that is an example. And that also, um, that all my actions do affect the greater whole of society. So like if my daughter sees me, you know, like one of my flaws right now on top of dealing with all this is I, I like to binge eat occasionally. And I've got a 15 month old sponge at home that sees dad eat when he's stressed out. So realizing that everything that happened um, and I do does have consequences and affect other people, regardless if I want to believe it or not, it's happened. So it's been a big lesson I've been, I'm learning right now. Yeah. Get, get comfortable with life with alcohol in the cage. You know, let's, let's work on that. And the binge eating, your body will tell you when it's time to, to work on that next. Right. Um, you don't even work on it. Um, I, it, I had a huge nighttime binge eating problem. Same thing. I'd relapse. I'd go 10 days without it. And then I, I couldn't go to hotels unless I had food by the nightstand and this problem dissolved. Um, I, you know, I addressed it at year three and a half in sobriety. So I understand if you do it all at once, a lot of, a lot of pressure, a lot of overload on the circuit. So whenever on your pace, your body will let you know. Well, well, I was just saying, I'm just looking for a mundane week at this point. You know, I just, no surprises, just kind of, you know, 
normalcy. So I get you. I hear you. you <laughs> Not going to do too much at once. <laughs> Absolutely. And next question, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? I want to be a resource to help people and whatever that help looks like. I think that just like this right now, just like, you know, talking to my buddy, John, that's in the, in the Pepe RE community, talking to my sponsor, Tom and AA, just being able to be open to help people and also letting people know that I do value like the people at my coffee shop that give me my double shot of espresso every morning, letting them know that I care about them and that they make my day better. I think we go about this life a lot, you know, just on lockdown, looking at our phones. And, um, you know, I think sobriety is going to help me connect with more people and just try and make their experience of life a little better. I see that being a big part. I don't really know what tomorrow looks like, to be honest with you right now with everything going on in my life. So I'm just kind of just letting uh, things happen, man. Just trying to make the next right choice. I know it's cliche as that sounds. So. Yeah, it's not. It's not really worry about tomorrow. Not a big deal. Uh, Pretty much. <laughs> in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Stop kicking your own butt uh, through this whole this whole process of this whole legal thing coming up with something that happened six months ago. I mean, it'd be very easy for me to go in a hole and want to like die of embarrassment. But you know, I've already I've already beat that horse to death. So the best advice was that first day. And I, I, it's a meeting I've never been back to, but the guy that told me, you know, stop kicking your own butt. I can only control right now. And right now at 11.54 Eastern time, I'm talking to Paul Churchill on Recovery Elevator. So it's a good deal. <laughs> Great way to start my day as well. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Yeah, I just say um, never be afraid to reach out. You're not alone. You're not, you don't need to isolate yourself. And this is, uh, I don't think we ever really stood a chance once this stuff took hold of us. I'm a firm believer that if you reach out for help, at least you're going to get some sort of answer. So if that's AA, if that's recovery elevator, if that's calling a, a relative that's been through a program and, and you're just struggling, um, you're not alone. And there's no reason to hold out isolation out of pride. That reaching out and saying you have a problem, you, you'd be shocked how much support you'll get. I, I had to come out to a few of my work colleagues this past week because I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I've got nothing but support. And that fear is, is going away. I can be I can be myself, the more authentic version of myself without alcohol in my system. And I can get people that still do that to still want to be a part of my life. And that was something I didn't think was possible back six months ago, almost six months ago. So. And Brad, before you depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcoholic gift line. You might be an alcoholic if you decide to switch from Maker's Mark to vodka on the back nine because you think that you play better with vodka in your system than whiskey. And then you shoot a 79 and you try doing it all the time so uh, i love these so much <laughs> uh, brad thank you so much for joining us on the podcast uh you're right where you need to be and i'm right where i need to be uh great chatting with you today yeah thanks man so with these grounding techniques we often use them when we're right at the peak of the roller coaster so here's an idea just like when you're on your pink cloud that's the time to double down practice these grounding techniques when you almost don't need to be grounded because it doesn't really matter what emotional state you're in. If you do one or more of these grounding techniques at the same time, you're going to enhance your emotional state, but not so much in like the happy sadness type category. You're going to enhance the state of the inner joy, the inner peace. So for example, if you're feeling good, here's an idea. You're going to feel even better. You're going to build that inner peace. If you get out in nature, and you're not going to multitask, you're going to take your shoes off, and then you're going to tell yourself, this isn't me, whenever you get a thought that isn't congruent with who you want to be. 
So right there, you're doing four grounding techniques when shit hasn't hit the fan. Implement and practice these techniques when things are going good. Sobriety, recovery, this is all action-based. Now focus on the action and not the results. But some of this action can be quite enjoyable. Who doesn't like walking on the beach without shoes on? It's the best thing ever, and it's natural, and it's healing. Your body knows what to do. Okay, Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys.